Blog Talk Radio. is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. We dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, today I am uh, honored and humbled to have uh, someone who is a, uh, a noted scholar, uh, lecturer, and author, um, someone who uh, has been uh, at the forefront in black psychology uh, for decades, and uh, certainly someone I, I think many of you have heard of and read about, um, have seen him at, on any number of, of television shows and articles in magazines and newspapers, including New York Times, Washington Post, and others. Um, and so I'm, again, honored and humbled to have today with us um, Dr. Naeem Akbar. Welcome, Dr. Akbar. Thank you, Professor Perkins. I'm glad to be with you and delighted to have this opportunity. Well, um, you know, I, I think it would be remiss of me not to uh, share with the audience um, uh, my introduction to you and, and my 20s. And I say my introduction meaning um, the first time I, I heard of you. And I'm going to date both of us for a moment. Um, I used to play uh, basketball in this kind of park league in Connecticut. And a friend of mine um, was giving me a ride home, and he had a cassette tape. Now, I know some people in the audience may not know what that is. But, um, but yeah, <laughs> um, he had a cassette tape in his, in his uh, uh, car that uh, he was playing, and and it was you on it, and you were speaking, and um, and I was I couldn't believe it. Um, some of the things you were saying, dropping so much knowledge, and I said, "Who is this?" And he said, "You don't know this, brother. This is Dr. Naeem Akbar," and he told me about you. And I, honestly, I've been following you ever since. Um, I think you know the first uh, uh, printed. Uh, material that I read of yours was, uh, I think it was called Chains of Psychological Slavery, um, mm-hmm. but um, I know you have so much to um, to talk about with all of the books that you've written, and and they, I've seen so many of them uh, still that they sell uh, in, in Harlem on 125th Street. People still refer to your work, um, and so I'm just, again, uh, honored to have you uh, on the show. So, First, I, I would love to catch up on what you've been doing. I know and I see that you've retired after this long, successful career at Florida State. Congratulations on that for your uh, being Professor Emeritus. Um, well, so I'm not would Professor love to... Emeritus. I'm just retired. Oh, oh. <laughs> just retired. Okay. I thought it was good. Um, so I would, I would love to know, what are you up to these days? What, what kinds of things are you doing? Uh, uh, I know you're staying busy, so I'm not even 
doubting that. So tell, tell us what but, you've been doing lately. Well, actually, I'm, defi- I'm really defiantly retired. And that is <laughs> that unlike so many people and so many of my colleagues who I've seen step down from their uh, uh, lifetime positions and call it retirement, but are constantly mm-hmm. doing the same things that they've always right. done. And uh, I had a very, very active life for over 40 years all over the world, only partially at the university. Uh, Mm -hmm, Most of my mm -hmm. time was really spent at conferences, university campuses, uh, in in settings all over the planet. Uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. On nearly every continent, uh, Mm -hmm. I was doing conferences and things like that. So Mm -hmm. I did a lot of work. And Mm -hmm. when I decided to retire, I decided to stop doing that work. And so I've been actually for the last, uh, I guess I retired about 12 years ago, for Mm -hmm. those last dozen or so years, I've been basically quiet. I have my private office, and I go there every day and pretend that I'm working, (laughs) but refusing to do anything except what I want to do. And, in fact, uh, your call was one of the few calls that I Mm. actually responded to in Mm. an affirmative way. Because for the yeah. last few years, I haven't even uh, chosen to do interviews or, th- or express my opinions about anything mm-hmm. because I didn't have mm-hmm. anything new to say. Basically, sure, I, sure. Said, I said what I've got to say, and I don't see the need to continue to repeat it. But thank I you see. for the invitation. I do appreciate it. No, and, and no uh, so I'm even more honored then <laughs> that you did. Well, thank you. I appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. And and so uh, uh, basically, in uh, for in in new terms, um, when you finished, you dropped the mic and you you said that's dropped it. The mic that's and left it. The I studio. That's right. <laughs> well, and let me tell studio. you. Yes, let me tell you. I uh, you know when I when I thought about uh, this conversation, I I really had my a mentor when I was at the uh, Yale School of Medicine, Dr. Jane Comer. I'm sure you, uh, Dr. Comer, yes. who is a noted child psychiatrist. Psychiatrist, um, right. Yes, yes. And um, uh, one of the things that he used to say when talking about um, our topic, talking about today, informing our schools with black psychology and, and what what matters is that he'd say, a black child in this country, and I'm kind of loosely paraphrasing this, but he'd say to be successful, the message that he or she gets uh, that they see are to act, talk, and speak differently than anyone that has ever loved them. And I remember the first time I heard him saying that, I, I thought, you know, because he just kind of said it and left it there, but went on later on to explain what happens when, when kind of psychologically what happens when um, a child has to overcome the dissonance associated with um, kind of other, being other than who they have seen people that care for them be. Right. And, and so um, I wanted to kind of start there because, you know, there's some – people who question this notion of black psychology, so to speak. And I, I wanted to, to hear from you about the importance uh, of the emphasis that we need to put, not kind of the exclusion of others, but the kind of the emphasis that for 
children and and adults that that were, were that did not get to hear uh, but but to have that as a basis for which how they understand who they are and their their uh, role and place in society right right you, you know I think that what we I think the real kind of nexus between psychology and education is really kind of articulated by the works of, uh, you know, Carter G. Woodson and mm-hmm. his old whole concept of the miseducation of the Negro. Because what he lays out is a very interesting and important paradigm that is just as true now as it was then, in fact, more so. And that is that we actually uh, attain our humanity by the information and education that we acquire about who we are. So self-knowledge is the fundamental basis of, of being able to become an educated person. Being educated is not just the transmission of information. It is the teaching, it is the uh, educing or, or extracting uh, an awareness of who it is that we are supposed to be as human beings. So the uh, interaction and the, the, the transactions that take place in the classroom are ways that we begin to uh, determine who it is that we are. So the whole concept, the whole idea of, 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 of gaining one's identity is the fundamental, ultimate objective of education. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the educational mm-hmm. system, if in fact it is teaching you who you are in very, very fundamental kinds of ways, then it's serving the purpose to prepare you to live in a world so that you will operate in your own self-interest, because that's mm-hmm. the purpose of education, so that mm-hmm. you will, as a human being, you will do those things to, in, to enhance and to ensure your survival as a human being. If you're mm-hmm. getting that information about who you are and you will work in that self-interest, then you're, you'll be considered an educated person. If you're getting the information that teaches you an identity that's alien to yourself, and you begin mm-hmm. to learn, uh, you begin, you begin to need, gain the knowledge of somebody other than yourself, then mm-hmm. you'll be actually be operating to your own detriment. Mm-hmm. And you'll be, in, in, in to, you'll be doing what's necessary to enhance the survival of the identity that you've learned. And very mm-hmm. often, well, in this system and in this culture and in our experiences for the last 400 years has been an educational experience that taught us not to be who we were, but to be someone right. other than ourselves. Okay. Absolutely. So what the psychologist, I think, brings to this whole discussion is to remind us that education is, in fact, an essential part of the psychological developmental process. And so if you're mm-hmm. going to be psychologically healthy, and that is doing what's necessary to ensure your survival as a human being and to be encouraged to, uh, uh, to be committed to your own survival, your own development, your own effectiveness, then that's what mental health is all about. If you're working against your own survival, that's what mental illness, uh, ill health, uh, mental disease is about when you work against your own well-being. So what I would argue is that we are only educated uh, if, in fact, we are gaining information that enhances our appreciation Mm-hmm. our knowledge, our love for who we are, and our commitment to being mm-hmm. able to do for us 
do for ourselves those things that ensure our collective survival. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is, is that that's the way this educational system is set up in the Western world. It is set up mm-hmm. for the survival of the majority of people who set up and define what the educational system is. So we mm-hmm. learn about what it is to be a successful European-American male, uh, mm-hmm. a European-American male Judeo-Christian person, you know, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. the prototype. Mm-hmm. So if you see anything other than that, you're learning about something other than yourself. Mm-hmm. So basically, you're miseducated to the degree to which you have mastered the knowledge of somebody else but know nothing about yourself. Absolutely, absolutely. And and I mean, what you're saying makes so much sense. And now there's a lot of work, as I'm sure you have seen and heard, that's going on in what is uh, coined social-emotional learning. Uh, and and these there are various um, uh, techniques that have been used and that are being used to uh, teach teachers how to be aware of their own uh, social place and, and emotional um, well-being. Um, and so I, I guess, I mean, you know, my question, just based on what you said, is how does that happen then uh, for, for the group of, of children that we're talking about that uh, are other than that uh, Western European um, uh, uh, background? Um, how, how then um, might we uh, promote healthy um, healthy development psychologically is it is it primarily that we need to um, do uh, learn our history or is it about current um, status of of those others that kind of non white others um, what is it that then needs to happen uh, from your perspective? Well, I, I think for one thing, we need to be very clear that you cannot effectively develop that kind of really functioning, effective education unless you somehow take primary control over that educational system. In other words, you can't do it with a class or you can't do it with a Black History Week activity. You can't do this supplementary uh, 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 input. It has to be an essential part of the learning process so that you're able to feel not as a, uh, as a peripheral part of the, of the, of the content, but you, are, you, you can feel as much a center, center part of the, of, the, of the curriculum, the, the pedagogy that's going on, as does anyone else there. Uh, otherwise, anything else other than that really de- kind of defeats your purpose because you're not really gaining a sense of yourself as, as, as a central character, as a central figure. You know? so, uh, so what that means then is that it, it means several things. You know, the, the, most, uh, uh, the one that is most frightening for, for us to <laughs> consider is the reality that when you really get down to it, the most effective Educational, like, well, we can, we can look at it in terms of higher educational institutions that have been most effective in educating black people, men and women, 
has been HBCUs. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I say it's frightening to begin to consider that because we know mm-hmm. that HBCUs were created out of a system of segregation which had all kinds of implications about the inferiority, the, yes. uh, the less capability, and it was, it, was, it was done as a means of excluding rather than including society. And, and so the motive behind it was actually a, 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 a deleterious motive. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, it was it, it clearly intended to destroy. Mm-hmm. Much to their surprise, it served to be an instrument of enhancement because mm-hmm. what, became, what began to happen in those segregated institutions is that we became the central theme. Mm-hmm. The conversation was in the language of the people who loved us the most. Mm-hmm. The content was content that was reflective of what would work both historically, what had, I'm sorry, what had worked historically for us to, impl- to, uh, um, to, to uh, uh, influence our success, as well as it also provided uh, answers to contemporary problems. So you know, the whole civil rights movement, the black protest, all of that came out of those institutions. So people were addressing contemporary problems as well as look at the historical ones. Uh, but the, the only way that consciousness came about is because they were in institutions that were actually, actually educating them and not miseducating them. And so, so the majority of the professionals who began to serve our communities, not only as teachers, but as professionals, as lawyers, as, uh, as, as doctors, as whatever else, we, whatever kind of professional needs we had, the, the majority of them were coming out of basic learning in HBCUs. Now, we can step that back a, 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 a couple of steps, and we, we'll find, that, uh, again, that in those institutions where we are the central characters, both in terms of the teaching as well as the content, we tend to become, we, we perform better in those, in those kinds of settings. And, and not being a peripheral part of it. So what mm-hmm. I'm at, what you hear me saying then, uh, which is kind of frightening for me to be saying here in 2021, <laughs> sure. is that uh, if we don't take more control of educating our own by our own uh, modes and with our own commitments, then we are in fact doomed to continue to to uh, uh, to be be miseducated rather than educated. Mm-hmm. 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 Now, and, what I don't have the answer mm-hmm. to is how do you do that while still mm-hmm. living in a diverse society where we have yes. to interact with people coming from other things. The only difference is, is that that kind of exclusive, segregated education works for the people for whom the system is, work, work, is set up to serve, you know. So mm-hmm. th- there's no complaint about that for uh, uh for, for white people because they gain resource, they gain strength from getting mm-hmm. properly educated. We don't mm-hmm. want to suffer, you know, by being mm-hmm. alienated in that system. Right, right, right. And and when I when I think back, um, I mentioned to you offline that um, you know over the past few months, I've had individuals have have 
um, been on the show, and um, we had someone who critiqued the 1619 Project and the 1776 Commission, um, but also had a, an exec from the American Historical Association to come and talk a little bit about the importance of balanced and, um, and fair, um, ad- accurate historical curricula. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it, it goes back to the age-old question of kind of who, who gets to determine what's fair and what's balanced and what's uh, accurate. Um, right. Is the, the, the pers- same uh, person who set the system. So, so it is the, the person who, um, who it has been working for. And right. and um, that's an interesting uh, point. But I, I I one other I guess thing that I've contemplated for a long time around this notion of history, and I I have not yet found someone uh, in those groups that were um, willing to come out and just say. Um, but what what I think about from a historical perspective is that so much of what has been told so far has been historically skewed and putting nicely, but has been inaccurate and in most cases outright lies. Um, yes. When when we start talking about um, the contributions, what frightens many of the people that are writing these history curriculums, the contributions have been for so long diminished from yes. African people, as an example, that it seems near impossible to get people to to then back and correct the record. So then what do we, I mean, it's like it's just really difficult that as history is being written currently, we, we still have to catch up from what was incorrectly posited the first place. You know, I, I guess that's, it's more of a statement than a question, but I, I guess your reaction to, to that. Yeah, well, you know, I think that uh, it, it's even more extreme than, than critique. We have places hmm. like the state of Texas where they're taking that information intentionally right, right. out of the history book. Really out. You know, yes, yes. That is, they, they, they're excluding that. They're saying that that is a distortion. Of, mm-hmm. of, of the realities that, that should be in the educational system. So without mm-hmm. the kind of political and economic influence to be able to, to determine what is considered acceptable information in the educational setting, then mm-hmm. we are, in fact, in a situation of where we have no control over that, and it's getting mm-hmm. worse rather than better because mm-hmm. we went through a phase through the, latter, uh, the late 90s when, in fact, there was an increased sensitivity to diversity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in information, not only in terms of not, not only a diversity in terms of, of, of the audience or the uh, or the students involved. We with the, the, well, the, initially we came to uh, the, the society began to see that there was a diversity in cultural experiences and and, and historical experiences. So there were differences in, in the people that were there, and that mm-hmm. fo- that was followed by an increased effort to diversify and to make more equitable the story and how the story was told. 
Then, of course, mm-hmm. we saw it reached a pinnacle, of course, with our former president, number 45, who somehow began to bring in a legitimize a return to the dark ages. No, mm-hmm. I'm supposed to say to the white ages, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> where, in fact, mm-hmm. everything became you know, as we want it to be, and leave any the, anything that begins to contradict the supremacy, the supremacy and the superiority of male Caucasians of European descent. Anything that does not legitimize that message, it is not mm-hmm. considered legitimate knowledge. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess our time is going very quickly. I want yes. to mention yes. Yes. one other one other thing that I think that we need to think about, and I'm, I don't have the answers for it, but I really think that it really it needs to be given serious consideration in terms of the whole impact, the psychological impact in education. And that is that we really need to confront very honestly the reality of the declining significance of schools and of education, period. Mm-hmm. Declining significance in the sense that less and less of our information that is being transmitted to our mm. young people from one generation to the next, is coming through the schools. From schools, yes. yes. Yes, it's coming increasingly from the media. And mm-hmm. in the media in a kind of unregulated way, so mm. the distinction between information and misinformation, is, is, uh, it, I'm sorry, information and disinformation, is mm-hmm. completely obs- uh, 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 obscured. You, you really, mm-hmm. There's no way to really tell the difference. So, right. That means then that the only um, the only real imperative for the school system is to somehow develop a way to really help us uh, to help the students develop the capacity for really critical thinking. You know, mm-hmm. and when I say critical thinking, I mean in terms of being able to really to realistically assess what is correct information in their self-interest and what is correct disinformation to their destruction, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, you know so critical race theory is like one approach to that. But mm-hmm. I think there's a broader question of how then do we let people come out of the educational system and go to their primary source, source of information, which is on the media and social media and in, in, the, in, in the uncontrolled flow of ideas and information that they're taking in. They're learning much more from YouTube and TikTok and, and Facebook mm-hmm. than they learn from mm-hmm. the classroom. You know. That's right. But but they're getting it what they're getting in that but they are but there's no syllabus to what to yes. what they're getting <laughs> through, through that yes. media. So yes. what the, what we have to do is to rethink education and re, and think of it less as a place to transmit information as it is to really, like, develop really effective critical thinking skills thinking. that mm-hmm. foster effective mm-hmm. mental health mm-hmm. and survival and the maintenance of our moral and civil humanity. Mm, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. And so I have just one, one last question as we run out of time is that, um, so we have a number of people who are listening that are, um, school leaders, district leaders, superintendents, even board members. Um, what advice do you have for them about how to confront this? Boy, my, my daughter is a principal at Atlanta, she's an elementary school principal, mm. and uh, she 
and she comes with a consciousness that she learned from her father. And so she, <laughs> she comes with these ideas. And so he's, she's in constant conflict with trying mm-hmm. to make sure that children, and these are primarily black children in the Atlanta school system, mm-hmm. uh, that children remain the focus, you know. Mm-hmm. And that is at odds with the major administration and, uh, and all, many of the parents and everything else because that is so that is considered so out of vogue with this mm-hmm. more kind of like post-racial mentality that's out there. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would say, first of all, to those administrators who want to do a more sensitive and effective job, first of all, you have my sympathy because <laughs> it's a struggle that I would want to have. But mm-hmm. I think that you really have to be honest with your own, with your own truth and work in that truth and to understand that we represent a vast, tapestry of what it means to be human and in order for in order to be really honest about your commitment to helping all people become as human as they can be is to be committed to them being able to develop the kind of self-love self-knowledge and self-mastery that permits them to be able to do that in an effective way and that means to like walk the un the un the uncharted path you have to do things that these days, it really is at odds with a lot of the major government. In the state of Florida and in Texas and many other states around the country, you can't even talk the kind of talk I'm talking and right, keep your right. job. <laughs> that's right. You know? That's right. I mean, like, that's how bad it is. I mean, this, yes. this, I mean we got a governor who, will fi- who, will, who, who wants to fine people for putting a mask on to protect right. themselves. Uh, from from COVID, you know. Right, I mean, right. So, so that's how reactionary it is. So I'm saying mm-hmm. it's difficult, it takes courage, but I think you need to work with each other and, and encourage each other to be able to do what represents often a progressive but unpopular way to move. Well, wow, thank you. Well, that That's a lot. I know that's a uh, 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 quite a hurdle uh, for some of our um leaders that are out there and yeah. they have some of the same uh, challenges that your daughter has in Atlanta. We have um, the program that I uh, uh, teach in. We have a lot of students in the greater Atlanta area, but a lot of the um, urban centers around the country that uh, express the same. And they're really concerned um, yeah. about about what the future holds in that uh, it, it just seems as though uh, people are becoming even saw where uh, uh, someone is is threatening the telecom the uh, telecom uh, country mm. uh, company saying uh, we won't forget you if mm. you turn over our records we when we get back in power we're going to remember you you know those kinds yeah. of threats and 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 I think we we are in some really difficult times but. Um, I'm, uh, I'm really hopeful uh, still about the future in spite of um, what's going on now. But I, I do want to just take this moment again to thank you uh, for for agreeing to be here uh, today. You have really uh, dropped some knowledge on us today, and I'm just, again, honored and humbled that you um, agreed to come on with us and I'll still be listening I'll look for wherever you, you do decide to come on and share um, uh, your knowledge uh, and so until we meet again uh, go well, stay well Dr. Akbar. 
Okay, thank you so much. I do appreciate it. Take care. Take care. Bye.